cliffcentral.com. 360biz on cliffcentral.com. You know, it's always, I find it so interesting um, being in studio and Tebo is not here. But how's it, guys? My name is Bulelani Balabala. I'm flying solo today. My boy Tebo is out there. Um, he's not necessarily gallivanting, but I mean, he's running a pitching show for the. There's this nice pitching show coming up, so I can't mm-hmm. really divulge. They, they, they're busy shooting for that. I mean, it's another beautiful day. We're talking business. We're talking entrepreneurship. I've got very interesting guests in studio today. But I mean, you know, uh, one of the things that we'll be touching on today is, I mean, you know, as per, as per what we've been doing for the past two or three weeks is all things entrepreneurship. And we have tried to mash it up in between guys that have businesses, startup entrepreneurs, or rather as aspirant entrepreneurs to women in business doing phenomenal things. So, are you ready to change the world? There's a growing movement of leaders coming together across various sectors and industries tackling monumental problems that we are faced with on a day-to-day basis as the society. And they and and and, and oh my goodness, I think I think I lost it. <laughs> did, did I lose it? Was I going a bit too fast? Should I should I rewind? Nah, man. And I mean, I, I feel a lot of pressure because there is a lady who's in studio who does this every day, who's been doing this for a while, and she's been talking about credentials a bit earlier on, and those are her some of her credentials. But I mean, so. So I've got a phenomenal lady in studio, um, Tiki Barnard, the owner and founder of Tiki Barnard Consultancy. And just before we jump into the 2017 Africa Shared Value Summit, I've got two amazing young entrepreneurs that I'll be engaging on. And the one gentleman that we have in studio is um, Mr. Itumeleng Pake. Did I pronounce it proper? Uh, you can call me Dumi Pake. Dumi Pake. That's, that's yeah, man, you got too many demands. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. We've got Dumi Pake, CEO of Zenzela Fitness Group, and Sydney Madibo, a 23-year-old upcoming entrepreneur and participant on SABC One show, One Day Leader Season 5. Sydney, man, how, how, how has the journey been so far? Uh, it's it's a lot of things, but but um, but I think over and above, it's it's very exhilarating. Um, it's it's exciting because you understand that one day there's a competition that brings what they regard as six of some of the best young leaders in the country together. And it, it's, it's a challenge. Every Monday we have to go into studio. We have to debate out from politics to economics to socioeconomic problems that we have in society. Um, so the journey itself has, has been really interesting. Uh, and, and it's been eye-opening really because we go to some of the most downtrodden of communities, the poorest of the poor. And we have to come up with solutions on, on how we, we resolve all of that, right? And how we, we come up with all of these solutions. Yeah. Yeah. So it's been exciting. So, I mean, is entrepreneurship something you've always wanted to get into or is this, I mean, it's something that, I mean, you see now there's a, there's, cause I mean, in the country at the moment, there's this buzz mm. with startup entrepreneurship and you've got all these amazing conferences happening around mm-hmm. about entrepreneurship and all that stuff. How, 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 how did it start for you? Hey, I, I think if, if, if you're in, because I went to, I went to, to, to a high school in Cebu Gang. And at some point, um, I, I sold sweets, um, sweets that come in, in, in packs of a hundred. And I was selling those for 10 cents. But at the back of my mind, it wasn't really me wanting to build this empire and wanting to become this entrepreneur. It was only to make enough money for maybe God or something along those lines. But now looking at, at, um, because I'm a professional debater and public speaker, um, it, it only hit me when people started asking me to come and speak at their schools or at their summits or at their functions. And then the question kept coming, how much do you charge? Um, and that, that came to mind. My voice can actually become, I can actually invoice using my voice. Um, and that is where the idea came about. Um, uh, just, just using the, the, the skill that I have apart from what I studied, um, really to, to not only to make money, but also to, to train other young people, I mean, people who want to get involved in public speaking, who want to do it as a profession. Um, and, and that is where the dream began. It started with one simple question. Do you charge to speak? And it was like a aha moment. <laughs> so, I mean, so, so what was that aha moment? That aha moment was because all along, 
Um, for example, I would, I would, I would get invited. Say a high school would be having a problem with grade 12s that want to drop out. Mm. Um, and then they would request of me to, to come and, and speak to them, either to encourage them or have team building sessions with them, um, or, or anything along those lines where, it, where I was required to, to intervene and help them solve the problem that they had. Um, and, I was doing it for quite some time after high school and not making any money out of it. And it only hit me when that one teacher from that one school in Thunderbell Park asked me if I do charge where, where, where that brainwave came through, that I can actually make business out of this. I can actually register something and make sustainable income for myself, um, without having to do anything illegal and get taken by the back of the van or something along those lines. Yeah. So that aha moment came. I mean, it, it, I think some of the best business ideas often come when we least expect them to. Um, when, when someone just asks you, or why don't you, why don't you take that bottle of water and sell it? Right? It is only at that moment that you realize or, ah, that is, that is where, that is where my money is. That is, that is where, where, where my, my business acumen can come from, from, from an idea that I overlooked. Um, and, and all that it required was, was just, Someone to just ask you that one question, and that's how that's how it came about. That that is how um, Sydney Madibo as as a name became a brand. That is how me and my friend from Thunderbolt Park, where a couple of years ago, were able to establish um, a clothing brand called Sixteen Collective. And only when he also realized that 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 he's a graphic designer and he's actually good at it, was when he was creating posters for me while I'm doing One Day Leader. And someone asked me, um, how much does Vincent charge for these posters? And that is when he got his business idea. So it is, it is, it is only when I think for us, it only came about as a question. It was something that we were passionate about. He's passionate about graphics. Um, I'm passionate about speaking and community development and all it took for us to realize that this is how we can make money was that very simple question that someone asked that do you charge for this? If you do charge, how much do you charge? How can I get a hold of your service? Um, and, and yeah, it's, I mean, dude, you're a 23 year old young gentleman. Yeah. Um, I mean, matters of, I mean, you come from Thunderbell Park. Mm. I mean, matters of leadership. I mean, I know with myself, I mean, I was raised in Tembisa. Mm. I mean, things like leadership are not topics that you come across on a mm-hmm. daily basis in the township or whatever the case yeah. is. I mean, how did it get to this point where you are now a 23 year old who's speaking about leadership? Hey, see now, t- difficult questions. Um, or rather, or rather, let me let me start it this yeah. way. I mean, where, what 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 sort of re- leadership roles did you mm. have at school? Or, or rather, I'd, I'd really like to know. I mean, what got you to where you are right now? All right, in school, I wasn't I wasn't RCL. I was never head boy. I was never prefect. I was just Sydney that participated in debating and public speaking. That was it. I think how how I got to realize. That I've got leadership potential was when I got to varsity. And you know, when you get to university, there, there are what, what are called houses. So I was part of a house committee and I contested elections because I was popular and I wanted to become the secretary because that seemed easy enough, just write minutes and whatever. <laughs> and at the time at, at, at the house, at the house that, that we were staying at, we didn't have a residence chairperson. And the conditions for you to become a residence chairperson were if you got the highest number of votes. And luckily enough, because that, because of this name that was just boiling in people's heads, I managed to get the highest votes and then I, I became residence chairperson. From that, I con- I saw that, okay, this is quite fun. This, this leadership business is, is quite the business. And I contested elections. I remember in 2014, um, to become transformation officer. And then after that, um, I was a favorite again among students and I became the SRC president from SRC president at institutional level managed to become the ISRC deputy president. And so I, th- I think following that journey and, and looking at what I managed to do t- during those terms in, in my leadership role in varsity, um, when I went out of, of, of SRC and, and that organized student leadership community, that was, in, that, that is really when I saw that this could actually go a long way. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you look at the, if you look at the kinds of, of communities that we come from, I went to a school in Sibukeng and the conditions for you or the pseudo conditions for you to become RCL president at a high school level was if you were a, a, a corrupt grade 
10, 11 boy, um, who smokes like nobody's business and school uniform. And it was just a demeanor change that needed to happen at a township level, especially with our township schools. And that is, that, that is when we started getting invitations from, from TLOs and teachers and principals saying that we need help with our RCLs. And we really started at, at that level. From that level, then we would get maybe the department of, of, Higher education yeah. calling us to higher education summits and saying that we have a problem with, with SRCs, um, and, and they're not performing in this or that aspect. Could you be so kind so as to come and train our SRCs? Um, and then we managed to train an SRC or two. We managed to train house committees. We managed to train RCLs in, in high schools. Even the lowest level, I would say, is, is even something as simple as learners in schools who are just, um, entrusted with the role of ensuring discipline. Um, and, and, and really that, that is how we begin to, to change our communities. Even though leadership is not a big thing, but I think through the little work that we're able to do, um, through the little intervention that we're able to make at, at, at such a low level, um, it managed to create that culture that let us start reimagining leadership for something totally different than that great 10, 11 boy that smokes out of his head and does not listen yeah. to anyone but is an RCL president. Let us start changing the culture of that. And that is how we inculcate it into our communities. If we take leadership and we start training young people, we start training people who have aspirations of becoming leaders, that this is that this is the type of demeanor you should have. This is how you should articulate your points to people. And and yeah, hey, I would go at length, yeah, but but yeah. it's 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 really a, a, a one day I'll write a book about it, then we'll be you able should. to read we'll you able should. to read so it. Out. We'll I yeah. mean Sydney, uh, I've heard I mean, from the great van and some of the circles I run in that mm. Africa has a leadership crisis. Do mm. you believe this? And if not, why or vice versa? I would say, I would say we do and we don't. Yeah. Right. Um, and, and not speaking broadly on Africa, I would focus on South Africa. Yeah. Um, so without quoting statistics and we, we do know that South Africa, largely the population is made up of young people. And how we observe politics and how politics continue to transform over decades and over centuries is that every era has, has its political struggle and every era has, has its leadership struggle that, that it requires for a particular time. And so someone who maintained or someone who acquired political status for a particular cause 40 to 50 years ago might not necessarily understand the political cause that is taking place right now as opposed to someone who's my age or your age. And I think that that is where the crisis begins, when leaders are not able to articulate the problems that society is going through now. Hmm. Um, and my understanding, I mean um, I come from I come from an area, one of the municipalities that make up our main municipality is the Medval municipality. And the mayor of the Medval municipality was turning 30 yesterday. And most of the mayors around that area are, are, are quite old, um, you understand. And, and sometimes it becomes difficult if you're a young person, for example, and you're saying that in order for us to be able to push a, a, a particular problem in society or, or promote a particular cause, then we need to use certain avenues. And these avenues that you would speak of are avenues that young people are using now. As a 60, 70 year old leader in power, you would not be easily able to articulate that. Mm. And in my opinion, that is where the crisis begins. When those in leadership are not able to articulate the problems that society are going through now. And so I think that, that in order for us to resolve that, without, without sounding very radical, um, and I would say that what society needs to do now is that we need to give more expression to young people at higher leadership levels. Um, particularly because we live in an era where anything from education to the economy, we are living in a digital age. And the people that understand the digital, the digital age and how it's going to be transforming from here onwards are, are predominantly young people. And, and if, if we are unable to do that, then by the time I am 50 and I get an opportunity to lead, I'm going to want to lead based on the information that I'm gathering now. So we always need to have, we need to have a shift. We need to have replacements. We need to have, um, uh, a transformation in terms of leaders that, that, that we have. Someone who led in 1940, 1950, 1980, um, might not necessarily understand what is it that we need to do now. Um, not, not disregarding, um, 
the the older leaders that we have, but the crisis that that exists in Africa, in its entirety, yeah. is that not enough young people are given expression at the platforms where they where they are needed, and these platforms are very high level platforms. These are platforms. These these are African Union platforms. These are SADC region platforms. These are platforms where we need to be speaking about what is happening in SADC regions, not necessarily what is happening in Sant and what is happening in Randburg, but what is happening in South Africa, yeah. and how can young people articulate the problem. That are happening in South Africa Given the fact that South Africa is, has such a young population And I mean Sydney So you're a contestant on One Day Leader yeah. Tell us a little bit about One Day Leader And also share with us I mean you were top three yeah. And you decided to come back again mm. So what is, what, what is it about this number one spot for you? Uh, I think the question is What is it about this One Day Leader um, um, Competition in its entirety? I mean um, Like I said One Day Leader we they conduct auditions for for thousands and thousands of young people. They open up entries for thousands and thousands of young people all over the country and you submit applications and from that you move from from top five hundred to top one eighty, from top one eighty to top ninety, top ninety, top forty five, from top forty five, top twenty, top twenty, top six. And for two seasons I managed to get from those top thousands, top hundreds to the top six. And really what One Day Leader presents us with, it presents us with an opportunity, like I mentioned earlier, to go to go into communities that, that we never thought we would go to. Um, I mean, I used to complain that I, that I come from a place where the only change that we would see to a hall is, is the color of the hall. And we are exposed to communities that do not even have, where 20 people use a single toilet. And I think One Day Leader exposes us to these experiences because... We, we are made to understand the living circumstances of South Africans that don't have the opportunity that you and I have. I mean, the South African that cannot get to Cliff Central and have this engagement with you. These are the type of people that, that we have to go to. Um, I mean, some of the people that we work with are mothers who are addicted to Nyaope and are raising children at the very same time. Women that are the poorest of the poor and when days are really dark and they're not making enough money from selling cans or bottles, then they have to resort to prostitution. And it opens up our eyes to the realities of the country that we are living in, the difference between the classes that we are living in, the difference between Santin and Alexandra. That is what One Day Leader brings us to. And I think the reason why I, I the first time when I when I when I entered for One Day Leader, I didn't expect that I would be exposed to that. But because I saw the the nature of the work that we do and the impact that we're able to leave in communities, um, the decision was almost natural just to want to come back uh, because you never know what community you're going to visit next. There are projects that we do and one of these projects is, is what is called a, a legacy project. So a legacy project is when we go into a community and we we change a particular thing. Um, in the previous season, we visited a, a community not far from not far from North Cliff called Kaya Sands. And what they had before before we intervened was just a heap of garbage, um, and it was infested with rats, and it was it, it was not a, a conducive place to live in. And through this program, we were able to to get TLBs and get municipalities on board and a number of other stakeholders, and we cleaned up that heap of garbage and we turned it into a recreation park. And that is really what, what One Day Leader um, enables us to do. It enables us to take the very little leadership knowledge that we have and impart it in our communities. It might not change the entire country overnight, but it certainly makes an impact for that one community that has had that problem for 30, 40 years and all it took was six young people who came with an idea of this is how we can change the status quo. So, I mean, how do we support you? Uh, how you can support this person who's talking to you right now um, is by casting an SMS. So we're all giving numbers and my number is is four. But how you SMS is that you need to SMS the words leader, um, leader four to the number three, two, six, seven, two. Uh, an SMS is going to cost you one rand 50 cents and you can SMS up to 10 times in a single week. Um, so by people casting their SMSs, it is them saying, ah, that guy is talking to my soul. That is the person that I want to see leading um, on one day leader and maybe hopefully one day leading the country. Hmm. Very ambitious yeah. young gentleman. So, I mean, Dickie, according to... 
I mean, I think according to you personally, I mean, what are some of the qualities of a leader according to you? I just want to just quickly correct one thing because I'm not from TV Consult. I, in actual fact, run an organization called Shift Social Development. Oh, really? Where, like you, young, it's all the, the, the stakeholders, shareholders are all young entrepreneurs and they're all, all females. So just to go, can you just repeat your question? <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, from that leadership conversation we're having, I mean, according to you, what, what, I think maybe let me phrase it this way. According to you, what makes a good leader or rather what are the qualities of a good leader according to you? I just want to say that if you look at somebody like, like Sydney, he in actual fact is, is a, is a true leader and he's only 23 years old. And what Sydney and also said, which do really stayed with me is that we need a shift. So the, the a true leader, I don't think that your age has got mm. anything to do with a true, true leader. It's got to do with your actual attitude. Mm. And I think the way leadership is changing now is that in actual fact, people have to care more. Mm. You have to care more about society. You've got to care more about the people out there and you've got to care less about yourself. Mm. And that's what a true leader is. You've got to care about the people and not about yourself. Thank you. Do you do your take? Um, I mean, yeah, I, I really second that. I think, um, you know, leadership to me, it's definitely about being of service, um, understanding that your needs, uh, come second to, to, to people. Um, but at the same time, you know, I think that, um, you know, leaders are, you know, it's, it's something that you, you learn, you, you basically draw inspiration from, from dip, different people to, to deal with a specific cause uh, for that specific situation, um, and and the the most difficult thing about maybe speaking to the context of South Africa is that there are some leaders who've led us to a specific you know period, but it's very difficult for them to to recognize when to step down. And I think you know great leadership is also recognizing when you've actually done your cause and it's time for you to step away. And retire and, and, and give leadership to someone else. Yes. And I think that's, that's usually the difficult thing about, you know, people recognizing that. So, I mean, just quickly, Sydney, you've already been benchmarked as a great and phenomenal leader. But I mean, your perspective on the matter? Um, hey, a great leader, a great leader is a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think we can, we can ever have one clear cut answer that this is what, what makes a great leader. But, but, like you mentioned, um, I mean, um, John C. Maxwell says that a great leader is one that that knows the way, that knows the way, shows the way. Uh, I'm forgetting the. You see now, hey, things of English. You know, it's but there are, but there are things of ways there. But but in essence, what what he's saying in in that quotation is is that if you're a leader and and you want people to embark on on a, on a particular journey. And you want people to, to, to go a particular direction, then you have to be willing, um, yourself to, to want to go that journey with them, show them how it's done. And, um, and another great Chinese philosopher says that once that journey has been completed, where you have shown the people the way, then you need to allow the people to say that we've done it ourselves. Sure. Um, I think leadership is, is, is an embodiment of a lot of things, man. Um, um, there, there has to be, there has to be a sense of humility. There has yeah. to be a sense of mm-hmm. gratitude. Mm-hmm. There has to be a sense of, um, I mean, part of, part of seeing, or knowing when to step down as a leader is if you've noticed potential in the people who have followed you and really your ability as a leader to create more leaders and to give those leaders an opportunity to lead as well based on what you've taught them um, could be what, 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 what we could encircle this idea of leadership as. Um, it, yeah. it, it, it really is a lot of things, but um, my opinion is that um, sometimes we do need sometimes we do need bad leadership to remind us why 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 there, there has to be good leadership. Um, I mean, one one contestant on on one day, Dylan Dumiso Hadebe, was giving a TEDx talk at the University of Free State, and he was talking about bad leadership, and he was explaining how had it not been for example, just a mere example, had not been for the rule of people such as Hf um, Vrut. Um, or Adolf Hitler, then we wouldn't be able to recognize the good leadership that that people inherently have. Um, um, yeah. Apart apart from 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 just looking internationally, if you look at the African continent, I mean, 
what what happens in in what happened rather in countries such, such as Rwanda. Uh, there used to be a genocide. And mm-hmm. Rwanda today is one of the most thriving countries on the African continent. And the type of leadership that we are seeing in Rwanda right now reminds us that there used to be bad leadership in Rwanda. And based on what they are doing, it should always serve as a reminder that we shouldn't go back to that kind of leadership. Um, so, so bad leadership ultimately is always going to remind us um, of good leadership. I mean, apartheid is going to remind us why we need to hold so strongly to our democracy. You understand? So leadership is, is a lot of things, like I said. Um, it's, yeah. it's, it's an embodiment of, of a lot yeah. of ideas. But all of these ideas, um, I cannot emphasize enough that all of these ideas need to be for good. And they need to be for the benefit of people yeah. in whatever cause or whatever arena that you're leading. It can't be for self-gain because self-gain means that you're going to neglect mm-hmm. the people that you're leading. Mm-hmm. And if you neglect the people that you're leading, then there's going to be an uproar. There are going to be genocides. There's going to be a coup. Uh, people are going to get killed. Innocent lives are going to be lost. So let me ask. Yeah. So who do you guys in studio think is going to be the best president of the country next? I'm no, no, hold the thought. S- <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna, 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 I want to give that. Almost, yeah, yeah, almost, almost, almost. gave the president yeah, the time. <laughs> so, man, I'll vote do. for him. Yeah, I also vote oh, for me him. Too. Yeah, so. yeah, I'd vote for myself too. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, you too, man. Um, you're leading in the fitness space. Tell us a little bit about. Introduce yourself to our listeners. Tell us who you are and what you do. Um, yeah, sure. And and thank you so much for having me. Um, I mean, I think, you know, just a, um, a slight background, um, you know, initially before I became an entrepreneur, um, I come from a, an investment banking background, um, but I've always had a passion for fitness and entrepreneurship um, and obviously looking at the space in, in South Africa, recognizing that there's an opportunity to, to start up this business. Um, fast track, you know, years later, I launched uh, Zenzela Fitness Group. Um, through uh, initial capital drive where, you know, I initially raised uh, over 5 million to start up the business. And, uh, you know, with that, the business has been scaling. Um, and, and basically what Zenzela does is uh, we are a full turnkey fitness and wellness solutions provider whereby we provide services to corporations or companies, universities, uh, we in the government space where we actually do the full design of, of the space. We fit it out with equipment, we kit it out, uh, we have an operations team and we manage the, the facilities. Um, and, and above that, we are very much focused on technology whereby every activity that is done within the facility is tracked, um, showing return on investment for, for, for companies uh, by keeping their workforce uh, engaged and healthy. Um, and that really shows return on investment. Mm-hmm. And, you know, South Africa has really been responding well to, to, to this type of service offering. Um, you know, the businesses employing over 70 plus full-time employees, uh, and we've sig- significantly scaled and raised over 20 million to, to basically scale and, and grow the business. Um, but, and, and yeah, in the nutshell, that's who I am. I really, I'm excited about entrepreneurship, but more so in, in the fitness space, whereby I see that they, uh, in comparison to your conventional wellness uh, providers in this country, there is a, a market to, to sort of uh, come with a unique selling point, which is what we're doing. Yeah. And I mean, ordinarily, how much, how much would it cost to set up a gymnasium? Uh, I mean, the you know, the, the typical full startup cost, I mean, to set up, uh, as an example, a 2,000 square meter facility could range anything from um, an average of maybe 10 million um, to basically fitting out and kitting out the facility, um, you know, putting equipment, uh, op- OPEX spend or operations expenditure, um, and at the same time, you know, uh, at least three to six months cash burn to to basically get to your break-even point. Um, so it is a highly capital-intensive uh, space, but, I mean, if you model your business properly, the returns are, are, are great. And I think, you know, speaking about leadership, um, when I came into the space, I, I didn't understand the, the, the market. I come from a finance background, but I was very passionate about this business. And what I had to do was recognize people that could help me mm. take this mm. business to the next level yeah. um, and that is what you know was the success story that identifying people who are smarter than me people who had over 20 years experience in the business 
and basically they helped me to uh, architect or set up this business. Mm-hmm. And, and that has been my leadership style to say, let me always find people that know much better than me. Um, yeah. You know, if I'm the smartest person in, in, in the room, I, I get nervous because, you know, someone should be telling me something great and different mm-hmm. to say, well, look, let's take Zenzela to this level. And that's what gets me exciting to, mm-hmm. to find people that can do this better. So and I just lead the, 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 the company. So, Itu, man, you're talking about raising five million. I think mo- most, of, most of the guys out there would probably think to themselves, how did you raise five million? Yeah, that's know, what I'm asking myself as well. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know, the other day I I I was actually just having a, a a random conversation and and the honest truth is um luck plays a a very big point in 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 getting this, but luck also comes with preparation. Hmm. Um you know, being at the right place at the right time and being prepared to execute at that point. That's true. Um and with that execution I think a lot of people, you know, I had no experience in the business. Um, actually, I had no track record. I mean, it, your normal conventional retail banks, if you're looking to f- for funding or equity or debt funding, uh, you need to have at least a minimum of three years of financials to show some traction in your business. I had none of that. And the people that invested in me, they invested in, in my passion and my desire. Mm. You know, they could see the fire in my eyes, in my belief. And to be honest, a lot of times when people put money, they don't, Invest in the business, but they invest in the person. Yeah. Um. And and that's is something that I've always used. That I realize people will invest in my, in me, and then the business after. Uh. But obviously, yes. I you know I, you know I had to do the homework. I mean, I had. Uh, so the initial funding was a uh, equity funding where um my investors took an equity stake in the business. Um. It was from um an institution. Maybe some of you guys have heard. It's called Aweti Project. Mm-hmm. Um. It's a government funded institution. And with that, what it enabled me to do was to build a footprint and traction to the business uh, to this date where I'm actually raising capital from your normal traditional bank. Uh, so your normal banks, I mean, you know, in fact, I'll mention them. Standard Bank has been great. They've raised, you know, I've raised about 30 million with them um, because of, you know, having an equity partner eventually getting pure debt funding. Uh, because I've shown traction that the model works, there is a return on investment for, for this business, yeah. and it actually does make profit. Um, but w- through all of that, I really feel that it was people investing in me because they believe that I was very committed in making this happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, it probably was like 80% of that, and, and obviously the, the, the balance was like, does the business make sense? Um, and I mean, yeah. Itu, man, in this space, I mean, competition is a little bit tight. Yes. Um, so, I mean, how do you deal with things like competitors? What's your competitive edge? My competitive edge is that, um, you know, we are, like I said, we, we focus in the, not in the commercial space. So currently we have 10 facilities in the country, uh, ranging from universities to uh, corporations. Um, we're in the public space. And our unique selling point is that we're more than just a gym company. So we're about uh, data, monitoring data, uh, return on investment for, 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 for companies whereby, for example, we would take a group of individuals in a corporation or a bank and put them on a high-risk um, or disease intervention programs. You know, I think lifestyle diseases, actually, I don't think, lifestyle diseases in this country are at its all-time high. And, you know, forward-thinking companies are starting to realize that there is a need for uh, engagement with uh, your employees, whether it's in the university or government, whereby uh, risk factors are significantly high. And therefore, uh, designing and setting up a facility that enables people to, to get into a facility where we risk classify people. For example, we took a group of 100 people, put them on our program, um, uh, and, you know, identifying risk factors like high blood pressure um, and all the, your, your basically lifestyle cases. And over the 12-week program, we were able to significantly reduce our risk factors by 30%. Um, and therefore, companies will start investing in that kind of information because a lot of times, you know, the type of data that we get is, is um, you know, U.S. or overseas data about yeah. health and or whether financial issues or whatever issues that, that we have. So what makes us unique is that we're creating our own research and our own data within our organization and producing that, that, that data um, to, to, to businesses. 
and, and obviously with our facilities, um, you know, using technology. So there's an app uh, that you actually use. Um, um, there's a, a key that you use. It's called my wellness key, where it's basically like a personal trainer in your pocket. Mm-hmm. So if someone who's intimidated was never trained in their lives, suddenly you have a personal trainer in your pocket. And with that personal trainer, we're able to prescribe exercise programs for you. And therefore, there's a lot of engagement. You know, he mentioned technology that with, with this age, um, technology is so important for, you know, young people want to be engaged. They want to see data. They want to mm-hmm. see, you know, I ran for five kilometers and um, we have behavioral modification or uh, behavioral economics whereby, um, you know, if someone does something, they get rewarded for something, you know, however small or big it is. But, you know, if you get something for running for 5Ks or doing whatever and, and, and you can check that and that's what makes people excited. And, and that's the space that Zinzel is playing at. Mm-hmm. Um, we were by technology. <clears throat> so what are some of the legalities that go with running such an institution? <laughs> and some of them I had to learn as I <laughs> went along. I mean, you know, the, the biggest one is, um, you know, public liability. I mean, you know, that, um, you know, health and safety, for example, you know, if someone gets injured or, you know, falls, you know, you could potentially get sued if your um, sort of um, your governance structures are not into place. So you'll have things like public liabilities. You'd have to have insurance for equipment, uh, very expensive equipment, multi-million equipment that we use, and you'd have to get that insured. Um, professional indemnity, whereby you need to have. So all our, our employees are fully trained and qualified to basically prescribe exercise programs, and therefore there is uh, insurance. You know, based on them, just like any, if you are in the financial services, you have to be insured in case you give the wrong information and or uh, whatever direction, and someone wants to sue you. Um, and yes, that's the time. And obviously, there's employee liability. Should anyone want to sue me? <laughs> so yeah, I have a you know good broker who's, who's really made sure that we we have uh, all the covers and and obviously things like you know we've we've set up at a university um, recently that opens uh, opened three months ago. And we've signed up over three and a half thousand members in just three months of opening. Um, and obviously there's issues like in a university where you have to have, I mean, we've, you've seen we've had strikes and et cetera. So we also had to get that type of yeah. insurance, you know, someone trying and, and, and uh, theft, et cetera. And that's, that's typically the type of insurance you need. And I mean, so in your kind of industry, I mean, it's numbers intensive, but how do you retain because I think that one, some of the things that I've seen, it's other people default so they don't go to the gym, by which you would probably collect on your subscription. Yeah. And then you would probably have people. But I think that the core essence of running a gym or a fitness company is to have people participate and come and utilize the machines. So how do you retain people? And in that sense, I mean, how do you get people coming consistently to the gym? Yeah, I mean, I think firstly, um, I'll start with saying that um, – our modeling is not typically what you'd see at a normal commercial health club. So just to break it down, um, in my instant, my customer is the corporation, it's the company, and the end user is the employee. So in most cases, uh, the customer would be the company that would um, guarantee some revenue to make sure that the facility runs. And obviously, that will be based on the, the model that we put together, um, showing the, the return on investment. So typically in the fitness industry, it would say that um, within a captive audience, let's say in this area of, of five kilometer radius, uh, it will typically say that there has to be a penetration between um, nine to to twenty percent, and therefore we would work on a within a captive audience to say if we can penetrate anything between nine and and twenty or thirty percent, uh, we would then use that as a break even model. So. Um, you know, like I said, the revenue stream in my case would be the company that would actually fund. Yeah. So some of my facilities are fully guaranteed. Um, there's an underpin from the company, which is why the retail banks were quite happy to fund the projects because uh, it actually, you know, if you have a five, ten year contract with whatever business uh, and most of my, my, my clients are, you know, um, blue chip or publicly listed businesses. So the banks were quite ex- Happy or to to fund uh, the project, and and then some of them obviously yes are driven by driving enough footprint. So we have a you know sales structure where we do acquisitions. Usually when we open a facility, 
we have uh, pre-opening sales whereby uh, we will sign up people three months before the facility opens. And typically at that point, the, the way we model our business is that on the day we open the, the doors, we are already breaking even. Um, the, 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 the gym is actually already self-funding and it's paying itself off. And therefore, we will have a major drive before we actually open doors. Um, and so th- those are some of the mitigating factors that we do. I mean, it's obviously not in black and white. There's, there's usually some you know, things that you need to tweak. Um, you know, for example, with students, we understood that with students, we couldn't collect revenue through via debit orders because debit orders you know, on a 12-month subscription is typically what you'll do. So whether someone comes to gym in winter or not, um, you already sign up a 12-month contract. So we are guaranteed to collect that revenue for the next 12 months. So those are some of the mitigating factors that most of our subscription is on a 12-month period, and therefore we make sure we sign up people enough to get into our break-even point. Um, And um, so those are some of the mitigating factors that we have, and it, it has... Worked very well so, so far. So, in wrapping up, just just share with me. I mean, in the next five years or in the next ten years, where is Zenzele Fitness Group? You know, I think um, what what's exciting is I think Zenzele is in the space whereby you know we can actually you know potentially compete with the best of the best. Um, you know, the, there's probably typically three major health commercial players in the country. Um, and I, I think that we find a niche in the market whereby we, we're penetrating. I mean, we, we're looking to scale where, uh, in the next five years, we're running over a hundred facilities, employing over three, four hundred people. Hmm. Um, you know, we right now in a massive capital raising drive to, to raise over 50 million to basically scale the business. Um, and, and unfortunately, you know, because I'm, well, it's probably fortunately, you know, it's a highly capital incentive, uh, business and therefore, you know, it requires to raise a lot of capital, uh, good debt, but I mean, the model is, is, is self-funding ultimately when we break even. And, and I think Zenzel is going to play in the space where, you know, it'll definitely be, be a, a company, a fitness company that will be reckoned with. And we also want to penetrate into the African, well, the rest of Africa. Um, we have been, you know, having some engagement with, with other countries like, um, Mauritius, um, where, whereby we're looking to expand over and above South Africa. So that, that's definitely where we see ourselves. Sure. That, that, that's groundbreaking. And I mean, which ties in perfectly. We're talking now to Dickie, who'll be telling us about the 2017 Africa Shared Value Summit. Sounds like money. Sounds like opportunity. Sounds like I'm ready to In actual fact, I just want to say to Sydney and to me, you must both come to the summit. So creating shared value is really about you know, making that difference in the, in, in, in the, in the world. And, and what I want to say to, to everybody today, the 27 in Africa shared value, how we, how it came about is that we realized that CSI, the government, philanthropy, all of that wasn't going to bring about the change that we in actual fact need in the world to create a better life for all. Mm. So what we did is we did some research. I went to a summit in New York and I learned that globally in actual fact the concept of creating shared value is very much you know within the global organizations and then I came back and and to me I want to say to you when I look at your model it in actual fact to me sounds that there is a level of shared value value in there because what Absolutely. you're doing is that you, you you keeping people healthy that's what you're doing you're trying to make people healthy you save an enormous amount for organizations because the people are healthy you know and people themselves feel more confident than actual fact more healthy so you've got a an example of 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 actual of shared value so what we did with the 2017 africa shared value we invited a lot of people we've got a youth track sydney i'm looking at you (laughs) we've got a really great youth track of young entrepreneurs that are doing a lot of things to bring about change and you know what's changed though is that the young social entrepreneurs you don't you want to do it because for the good but you also want to make money at the same time and that's why sydney you know can charge for when you go and speak but you're doing good because you're in actual fact speaking to young people that you are influencing in a positive way so for me i want to say to 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 all of you today i mean the 
the 2017 Africa Shared Value is the inaugural one. So we're trying to involve businesses from the rest of Africa as well. It's on the 25th and the 26th of May at the Santon Convention Center. And, and we really hope that we can bring business and the top CEOs and everybody together so that we can talk about how we can bring about change at scale. Because CSI can do it a little bit and philanthropy can do it, but we know that handing out money has never really made, you know, that societal difference that we want. It really hasn't. So, So, I mean, Tiki, just give us clarity again. I mean, who should attend? So the, so, you know, I work, as I said, also with five young entrepreneurs, all females. And when we looked at who we're targeting for this is that we want young entrepreneurs to come to it because it's young businesses and it's the entrepreneurs in actual fact that is going to bring about the change. And I think that Sydney said it earlier on. And I love the word, the fact that you use the word shift because we are shift social development. You know, we need to shift perceptions and we need to shift that old thinking to new thinking and 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 who we targeting is all business leaders it's thought leaders it's young entrepreneurs it's your ceos it's all those organizations that have not yet made that shift to in actual fact create shared value Mm. and then i mean tiki i mean obviously you guys came up with this particular model or rather initiative because you guys saw a particular need so what what is this particular need that you know should drive me as an entrepreneur to bring myself to, to the, the summit. To the yeah. summit. So, so if you want, if you as an entrepreneur is struggling, so you want to, in actual fact, want to make a change, but you're not a hundred percent sure how to do it. Because let's face it, guys, resp- taking responsibility is hard. You've just said it to me. And, and I mean, it really is from a business perspective. So what we want to do with the summit, we want people who are successfully, who's got successful share, shared value stories. We want them to come and tell it at the summit so that they can can influence those young entrepreneurs to have a look at it because we sometimes, some of us, I'm not saying all of us, we just think profit, 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 profit. But you know what? Organizations that are just focusing on profit, profit, profit is not going to be around in 10 years time because the younger generation wants to see what companies are doing to bringing about change, you know, to create that better life for all. And I mean, I know that there is a case study that is to be presented. And I mean, what do you guys seek to achieve out of the case study or rather, what is the case study about? So we've got, if I understand you correctly, there are lots of case studies that's yeah. going to be presented at the, at the actual summit. So the, the, the real case study is about what do we have to do as businesses to bring about that change? To create a better life for all. Because the thing is, is that it's not happening fast enough. I mean, I think Sydney sort of touched on it, but in Africa itself, we've got the fastest growing labor force. So what are we doing as business to create jobs for those young labor force? That's in actual fact, we're going to be bigger at some stage or another than the labor force in China. So what are we doing about it? One in four people in Africa still go, go to bed hunger every night, but we do produce enough food in the world. So what is the problem? So, and those are the, are the, are the actual things that we're going to tackle at the, at the summit and that we need to talk, talk about. Um, so what are some of the topics you guys are going to be covering in the panel discussions? So some of the topics in the panel discussions, we're obviously going to talk about a very sore point for some organizations, which is triple BE, you know, and shared value. So um, that's one of the topics. And I think, Tumi, you touched on it, how you had to create your own ecosystem when you started your business and you had to tap into people. And we're going to be talking about creating shared value at scale. So if you look at an organization like Enel, who goes in and they provide electricity in, in Africa, they can't do it on their own. They have to, like you did to me, they have to speak to the community. They've got to speak to the municipality. They've got to speak to the business leaders in the actual and then they create. That's the second one is ecosystem and then we've got the youth track where we want the youth to talk about what they expect from business as far as creating shared value is, con- is concerned. 
Yeah. And then, I mean, uh, with regards to the conference, I mean, obviously, there is a certain, there is something you guys want to achieve out of the conference. And whatever you guys are going to achieve out of the conference, would it then be utilized in terms of informing policies in the countries? I mean, what, what are some of the things that you'd like to achieve out of the conference? So, so what we want to, what we want to achieve as Shift Social Development, because we're a young organization with five young entrepreneurs that runs the company with me. So my job is just to, to, to help them to make a success of their organization. So what we want to try and achieve, obviously for us, the reason why we're putting on the summit and just to what Tumi was saying, you have to knock on a lot of doors to go and get funding. That's what you have to do. You probably knock on about 20 doors before the first one says yes. So we have to go and find the funding for this. And what we want to achieve out of the summit is obviously for us, because what we do is we co-create with thought leaders and business leaders and organizations shared value strategies. So that's what we want to do. We want to, in actual fact, for shift social development, we want to create business. And what we also want to do is want we want to the, the summit, in actual fact, to make that CEO go back to his office and take action and, in actual fact, implement his shared value strategy. Yeah. And I mean, so... How do I get a ticket? How do I buy a ticket? So maybe just give us a breakdown in terms of the event information. How many days is it? What time? Okay. How do we buy tickets? And then, I mean, how can we read up more about the event? Okay. So first of all, I want you all to go to the website. It's it's called AfricaSharedValueSummit.com. And, and on the, on the actual, uh, so it's a two day, it's over two days. The first day we talk about the impact of shared value. And then the second day we're talking about Africa taking the lead because we do believe that this is obviously, as we know, we live here and this is the continent of the future. So, so it's, it's, it's broken into two days. Each day has got four tracks. Yeah. And, and if you don't want to go to the first day, you can go to the second day. You can choose which one of the tracks you can go to and you can buy your tickets on online um, on the actual website is where you can purchase a ticket to come to the summit. I know that I'm definitely going to the summit. I'm going to massage a couple of, uh, or rather, I'm going to massage a particular lovely lady that I have in studio to make things happen for me. The beautiful lady I'm speaking to, um, so rather I'm speaking about her and also speaking to is Kanyima Kubani. Shout out to you, an amazing lady, a producer, an entrepreneur, a PR genius, a speaker, and get things done man you know what we've had a brilliant time in studio it's just that our, our show is an hour but i mean we normally close in style and i also ask um the beautiful siska and yamakubani to come and just give us her 30 seconds but we normally close in style and what our style is for i mean for about 15 or 20 seconds we, we 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 need you to you know just say something phenomenal i mean inspire the young entrepreneur out there who's listening to this show inspire the listener out there who's who's who, i mean whoever's listening to the show just say something amazing Hello, everybody who's listening. Okay, well, wait, 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 wait. I'm sorry, sorry, <laughs> listeners. I need to capture this. Okay, this is Bulalani. He's yes. um, putting on the video. Yes, yes. All yes. right. Um, one thing that I want to say is that you know, the higher you go, the deeper you must go. You know, because they always say, you know, there's what we call the Maslow um, hierarchy, the, the pyramid. And at the very first level, that's where you look at your basic needs. You know, you look at uh, what you want to wear, what you want to eat. You, you're looking at basic survival. But mm. as you go up, you start to look at the survival of others. You start to look at impact. You start to look at the greater world. But for you to get higher, you've got to go deeper. Mm. You've got to go deeper in humanity. You've got to go deeper in humility. You've got to go deeper in yourself. You've got to be grounded. It's very difficult to go up if you're not going down in your roots. Grounded people are the ones that can reach the highest summit because they have something that's holding them down. But if you go up and you are actually floating and you're not grounded in anything, I always say that if you don't stand for anything, you're going to fall for everything. So to everyone who's hoping to get somewhere, the higher you go, the deeper you must go. It's just sad that I don't have horns on the show. <laughs> Thank you very much, guys. Join us yet again next week. Have a fantastic remainder of the week. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you so much. Cheers. 360 Biz on cliffcentral.com. Cliffcentral.com.